0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: And sooner or later you'll find out.
2: Hi guys, welcome in to another BuzzBeat episode. Uh, Just a reminder, we are a proud member of the Blue Wire Network, where you can find us along with other sports podcasts. Uh, Like I've mentioned before, there's probably 15 or so podcasts on the network, and it is growing. Um, If you stumbled upon us, whether you guys were just searching for Hornets Podcast, or you found us through Blue Wire, and you want to know a little bit more about the show, we are a Charlotte Hornets podcast. Uh, And I feel like in our episodes, we do a good job of breaking down the games, discussing team trends, X's and O's. Feel that you can't find a better Hornets uh, analysis podcast out there. So if you like our episodes, we'd really appreciate a five star rating and a quick review on iTunes. It takes all but 30 seconds to do. All right, guys, in this episode, we're going to discuss uh, the depressing loss against the Los Angeles Lakers on Saturday. Feels like an eternity ago, Um, so we won't spend too much time on that game, but there are definitely some topics that we need to discuss, and then also the win over the Cavaliers on Wednesday night, Um, and then we might also get into some Kimba talk at the end, uh, and maybe anything that we feel like the Hornets may do around the trade deadline, which is really uh, not too far away. So let's first start off with the Saturday game. Um, So coming off a loss to the Knicks, uh, the Hornets were hoping to beat LeBron James and the Lakers, But uh, Charlotte's record entering this game against James was 6-46. And then there was another loss after that 128-100 loss on Saturday. The first half, uh, it was very deceiving. Uh, We were only down by 7, but it felt like we should have been down by a whole lot more. Lakers in full control of this game. Hornets really never threatened. And uh, it was a very pitiful game to watch as a Hornets fan. Uh, Definitely very uh, negative thoughts that raced through my head. And I'm glad that we actually were able to uh, see them get a win uh, on Wednesday night, so that this podcast isn't isn't too negative. So I guess we'll first start off talking about some of the you know the themes in this game. Kimba struggled again. Lakers had a ton of fast break points coming off Charlotte's 18 turnovers. Really, the only bright spots in this game were Bleak Monk, who had 19 points, uh, and Miles Bridges, who had a, I believe it was a career high of 17. So I guess I first want to start with uh, Kimba's slump. And, you know, going against Lonzo Ball, who's definitely a pest on the defensive end, uh, it didn't make it easy. He was 2 for 13 from the field. He had his lowest point total of the season at 4 and his lowest true shooting percentage of the season at 15.4. I guess all players go through slumps, but the problem problem when Kimba goes through a slump, and, and Brian brings up this point all the time, there's not a lot of people around him that actually step up. So on his off nights, others have to step up. And that's just not happening, and that didn't happen at the Lakers either. So any thoughts or takeaways on this game, or maybe specifically with Kimba's slump and and others around him just not stepping up?
3: Yeah, I mean, as you said, you know, we make the point quite a bit of, you know, when Kimba's not—when he doesn't have it going, I mean, there's just not enough firepower, you know, on this team offensively to, uh, you know, to stay above water. And and this Los Angeles game was, like— 1A example, uh-huh. right, for for how bad this team actually is. Like, take Kimba out of the equation, and this is, like, one of the three worst teams in the league, if not the worst team in the league, you know. And that's it's crazy to think about for a 500-ball club, but it's true. I mean, this was Kimba's easily his worst game of the season. Mm-hmm. You made a great point, Richie, how good Lonzo Ball. I mean, Lonzo Ball looks healthy now. His athleticism is obvious, you know. Uh, it, the defender he's been since he's gotten into the league surprised me a little bit, but this was this was a great – um, this this is great tape for Alonzo Ball and his defensive uh potential couple, against Kemba Walker. Yeah, go couple, ahead. Couple
4: couple yeah. dunks, couple dunks on the other end too. Like he looked yeah. bouncy, you know, really yeah. for the first uh, probably three dunks this game. He looked he looked athletic, no doubt.
3: Yeah, yeah, he did, and and look like on the opposite end of the spectrum, Kemba looked exhausted, and he looked almost you know sometimes Kemba looks uninterested, and especially and he's not, but his, his body language just kind of kind of spells that out from time to time, but. He he gets in this funk where he's not making shots. His mentality isn't great. Um, his confidence isn't high. And then on top of all that, he feels like he's not getting the whistle. Um, uh-huh. and, and when he starts talking to the official more, and Richie, you, you brought this up a lot, that's when you know he's not focused, he's not tuned in, things aren't going his way. The reality of that, I actually looked into this today. The reality is Kimba is still getting the whistle. I, I, and even to my, I was surprised to see it. But, but I did the research a little bit today. In the, last, in the month of December, eight games, he's actually getting to the foul line more three times a game than the season average, and he's also driving the ball to the basket less. So, you know, that's just a myth that Kim is not getting the whistle, but it also proves the point I was just making, that it is his perception when things are going his way, he starts acting out more out of emotion more and more when he's not getting to the foul line, and we've seen that a lot here recently with Kimba, and again, it's just never a good sign with him.
4: Yeah, I even think during the uh, going to the Cleveland game a few nights later, <clears throat> when things weren't looking so good in the first half and he was sort of chirping at the refs again, I mean, Doe Curry sort of found nicer words to use, a little more flowery language, but he brought up, like, uh-huh. I, even he sort of mentioned, like, hey, you know, I'd like to see Kemba maybe just sort of just play and, and not worry about just sort of pick, his, pick and choose his spots when they yell at the refs um, more than he sort of is right now. But, yeah, like, this game... <laughs> I mean, come on. The Hornets against LeBron is sort of a joke every time they play. Like, uh-huh. it doesn't even matter how how good or bad Kemba is. But if he's going to struggle, and boy, did he struggle in this game. 0-5 on pull-up threes. Only two field goal attempts at the rim. Charlotte scores only 78 points for 100 possessions with him on the court. Like, it, the Hornets would lose to any they, – they'd lose to Duke if they played like that. You know, I'm obviously being a little facetious here. But, like, it – they're never gonna win that way and to do it on the second night of a back to back against LeBron, like the problem for me with this Lakers game was I think you could have if, if Friday night against the Knicks hadn't been such a disaster, right, then this wouldn't have been such a big deal. And like there was just sort of like the timing of it. And again, like, you know, the Lakers are really good. They they might be the, the third best team, third or fourth best team in, in the Western conference. Hell, they might be the second best team in the Western Conference. Um, so there's no shame in losing to them and LeBron who just routinely murders the Hornets or the Bobcats every time they play, but it coming less than 24 hours after the collapse against the New York Knicks in the vaunted two, three zone (laughs) of, of David Fisdale. It, it was just, it was, um, yeah, it was a bad weekend basically in uptown for the Hornets. Like, because if you, if you win that game against the Knicks, you've got four wins in a row. Yeah. And you got the next game against Cleveland. You're like, hell, unless barring a disaster, we're going to win five out of six here. It's pretty good. And there's no problem with losing to LeBron, even if it is at home, if you're on the second night uh, of, of a back-to-back and at a rest disadvantage. But, boy, the the effort wasn't even there. It's just the box score is, like, is just sort of weird. Kemba didn't even attempt a free throw in this game. Um, Hornets turned the ball over a lot, 19% turnover rate. Like again, they're always going to lose if they if they turn the ball over like that. Like they are net. Like this team has to be at that unless they go crazy from three, which they didn't. Just no. seven of 29. Like this this was just a, this game was a recipe for disaster. For the, for the Hornets, with the exception that, hey, the young guys, Monk and Bridges, play pretty well, I suppose.
2: Yeah, I think the Hornets, you know, they are number one in the NBA and in turnover percentage, or at least limiting turnover percentage. Um, and then this game, it was the complete opposite. Like you said, Brian, if, if you have these games where you turn the ball over, especially against a team like the Lakers, who thrive in transition, um, you really have no chance. You have no mm. chance. The Lakers had 20 points off turnovers. That's the fifth most Charlotte has given up all season. Uh, Lakers had 25 fast break points. That's the third most Charlotte has given up all season. And then Lakers had 66 points in the paint. Obviously, some of those are coming off of those fast break points. That's the most Charlotte has given up all season. So Mm -hmm. Lakers definitely thrived off the turnovers, something that Charlotte is typically good at, uh, but not on this night. Uh, And the Lakers took full advantage of that and even shot 78% within four feet of the hoop, uh, which is the second highest on the year for the Lakers. And I noticed a lot of like quick touch passes, and they had tons of alley-oops in this game, the Lakers, that is. And it just seems like we had no chance. We we're always behind the ball. Not Lonzo Ball, per se, but the actual ball on the court. <laughs> um, so, I don't know. In, in a, not a lot of positives. I don't know if anyone wants to speak to you know Miles Bridges' play or Malik Monk's play. They did have a little bit of a uh, spark in the second quarter where uh, mm-hmm. the Hornets went on a 17-6 run. Bridges wasn't the most efficient, but uh, he did get up 17 points, and then Monk. Shot pretty well from the field. And I think the biggest thing with Monk, um, I've said this a couple times, but just kind of finding that balance with attacking mm-hmm. and then shooting from behind the arc if he's strictly shooting from behind the arc which is typically the way that he goes if he favors one side it's not him always attacking it's, it's him taking those shots uh, it typically doesn't end up well so I thought he did a good job of um kind of balancing at the hoop and then from also behind the arc he was three of five within um five feet
3: yeah well a few things number one the turnovers you know it, it was consistent throughout the game it, it came in A few different waves. The first one was, you know, the Kimba Cody pick and roll was, I mean, everything was a power outage for Kimba in this game, but Cody couldn't catch passes, live ball turnovers, led to transition Uh points in the first half. And then it continued in the second half. I I thought especially Malik Monk, just like two of the most boneheaded. I I mean, he does a lot of boneheaded stuff, but those second half live ball turnovers were just, sometimes I just do not understand what's going through that guy's
2: head. Um, his basketball IQ just continues to be This is the same guy that didn't wear his and, jersey that one game. Remember when he tried to come onto the game yeah, and he didn't have his jersey? Yeah.
3: <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, like, the shooting numbers, okay, fine. They're, they are what they are in this game. But, like, I just don't add much weight into that because so much of this game was garbage time. And, you know, a, a yeah. lot of those points, not a lot, I mean, in, in fact, only, I guess, eight or nine of those points came in garbage time. And I know they had that second quarter, but, like, I don't know, man. And I've, I'm going to do something for Queen City Hoops every Friday for the rest of the season. a kind of a column of things I'm seeing, and Monk's going to be part of it tomorrow. And there's just, guys, there's there's zero sign that this guy's getting it at all. Um, yeah. It, it just continues. And I look, he doesn't turn 21 until February. It's mm-hmm. not time to give up. But there there is very, very little in the pie to suggest that he is developing as an NBA player. So I, I'm worried. The other point I wanted to make is Miles Bridges in this game. Um, the Hornets went small when they got desperate there in that second quarter. Kim, Tony Parker, Monk, Batum, and miles a lineup I'm not sure we had seen yet this season. We had not, no. Yeah, so so that was interesting. Brego just continues to d- dig into the bag. Um, and the Lakers left JaVale McGee on the floor and literally – he ignored Miles Bridges no matter yeah. where he was on the court. And that's some, some of the reason the Hornets were able to, to get back in that game. Miles Bridges scored nine
4: straight points in that stretch. I thought he did a great job. He the, uh, Zach Lowe's talked about this a few times now with, with regard to Jared Allen in, in Brooklyn um, of these centers that are just playing defensive, so just center field, just going to park it at the rim. You know, yeah. DeAndre Jordan's doing it in Dallas. But if they think they're playing like a non shooting threat, uh, yeah, like they're just going to hang out. They're not going to worry about chasing dudes out 25 feet from the hoop, and they're just going to wall off the rim. And for the Lakers who are concerned about giving up looks at the rim, it's it's great to have a guy like JaVale McGee that's blocking a ton of shots this year hanging back. But I thought Miles did a really nice job uh, going at him and, and hitting some shots over the top too. He's one of those guys where it's like you see – again, I, I don't want to do like – Angel on one shoulder with Miles Bridges and and Devil on the other shoulder with Malik Monk. Um, They're both young players, clearly with a lot of talent. And Bridges definitely has games where like, you know, you're like, man, you're just so spacey defensively. Or or even in Cleveland, he had another time where he got a rebound and started dribbling up the court and then picked up his dribble along the sideline right around half court and got trapped and turned the ball over. But it's like you can kind of live with him a little bit because he's with some of those mistakes because a he's, he's a rookie and he's only 20 years old, but because like, man, he just makes up for it because you can see the, like the gears in his head sort of turning. You can see Tony Parker pulling him aside and you can see him. Like, I I don't know if you're going to see the tangible results of this until maybe next season or, or beyond, but it's like, you can see the gears in that guy's head working like, okay, I effed up here now, you know, how can I get it back on the other end or how can I not do that again? And and I'm not trying to juxtapose those two as like bridge is good, monk bad, because there's positive positives and negatives Uh of both. But, um, and the usage rate for Miles is is
3: much much less than Monk, right. so the so the bleeding just isn't as catastrophic. Yeah, you know when the mistakes come, and and I think that there's a chance that's what Miles is as a player, right? He's a I'm gonna attack a closeout, I'm gonna shoot an open three, and I'm gonna play off the ball and then just be a menace uh, on the offensive glass and on the defensive end if he can get there, right? But like Monk has to travel so much farther than that to develop into the, in, even a general idea of this player that people think he could be. I mean the CJ McCollum comparison was the one we were making it for him as a rookie. Like, I just look, again, let's be patient, but I don't see any of it. None of yeah. it. So I don't know what he is as an NBA player. It's like I'm trying to reinvent my idea of what he can be but i can't really come up with anything and that's why i really
2: worry do you think that the physical limitations on monk's part because he's a shooting guard in a point guard's body he's he doesn't look too built to me um so he has to kind of make up for a lot of his physical limitations where miles bridges you look at him He's definitely a modern-day three-four. He can switch across multiple positions. Does that play a factor in kind of your outlook for Malik Monk? I mean, I know it's I know it's also the mental makeup and coming, you know, some of the dumb mistakes he makes on offense and just his defensive, um, you know, letdowns. But I feel like the physical limitations with Malik Monk, he has a lot to overcome.
3: Yeah, I mean, yes, no, no question. That has a ton to do with it, and. You know, like I just said CJ McCollum, okay, it's pretty clear he's not gonna be that, or there's a pretty good chance he's not. So now let's take it down a notch and let's say, okay, could he be could he be you know, can he be a Lou Williams, can he be a Jamal Crawford? Crawford kind yeah. of the, yeah, you yeah, know, that microwave score. But the problem is he's a very inefficient scorer on almost mm-hmm. everywhere on the basketball yeah. court. So you no know, it's it's like every question you ask yourself about what he is versus what he's gonna become Spits you out in this really depressing area, and again, he's not 21 yet, so let's we're not putting a a label on him. But we've we've got 1,400 minutes of data of evidence here that really doesn't tell us much optimistic stuff about Malik Monk.
4: The the things I'll say, uh, quick thoughts I'm just running through my head here. The 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 comparison with McCollum, I. I you got to really squint if you want to see it. You also got to remember too, with McCollum, we've actually talked about this on the podcast before too, but like that dude was a three or four year player at Lehigh in college. And it took him like until the playoffs of his third season in Portland before like the light bulb came on. Now he's been a, a total badass since then, but like he probably didn't figure stuff out until he was 25, 26. And you know, Malik Monk, as we've just said multiple times now, like he doesn't turn 21 until February. So like, Look, you know, it's one of those things where, uh, hell, I don't know if he'll be in Charlotte when he's that age, but that that is something to consider. Um, The thing that I was always going to hang my hat on with being optimistic about Malik Monk was obviously you could see the limitations in terms of his size, his length, um, just like his defensive acumen. I always thought just I just thought the shooting was going to be able to offset everything, Uh and. He's yeah. really he's just been an okay catch and shoot guy, not great um thirty seven percent on catch and shoot threes this year, three and a half attempts per game. It's not you know I, he feels like a guy that's got that's gotta be like you know closer to to forty percent. and the pull up threes just twenty seven percent on pull up threes, about one and a half attempts per game. and it's the shot selection too. It's like he has moments where you can see like he's got some twist. he has a hand he has some handle. like he, he can be an unselfish player and pass with vision on, on lobs or on on bounce passes to guys cutting from the weak side. But, like, I always thought the shooting was going to be able to offset some of these physical limitations he had. Um, and I agree I mean, 100%. And, yeah. and it just hasn't. And, like, that's, that's sort of like the game that Portland runs with Lillard and, and McCollum. And, and my, my pie in my pie-in-the-sky vision, I, I thought Charlotte with Kemba and Malik Monk could, could try to do some East Coast version of that. And it just, without the shot being reliably there, and part of that is because he likes to over-dribble and he takes bad shots and he just doesn't make, he misses the vast majority of them. Um, It just that, that's really, now because of that, it even heightens these limitations that he has uh, in terms of his frame.
3: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'll add that from a creation standpoint with Malik, I think the biggest issue with him is he only has one speed that he can go right now, and that is hundred. trillion yep. miles per hour, mm-hmm. you know, with really no plan. And that's where these awful turnovers come from is he get he gets into the lane. He gets, yeah, he know, goes all the way the baseline and, and just makes like this pass out. Then, yeah. Well yeah, you right. And he leaves his feet. You know, yep. this is with stuff we talk about in J V basketball. if you're stuck, don't leave your feet. Because now not all, now you've made gravity the sixth defender on the floor, right? Mm-hmm. So and when he has this habit where he leaves the fe- his feet, like you said, Richie, he'll throw it back towards his basket, <laughs> you know, and, and you get these live ball turnovers. There's two of them in the Lakers game where you're just like, what is going on? Here's the other thing. We're now the – clock, the clock is officially ticking for Malik and the Hornets because we're now about 20 months away from him being extension eligible. Mm-hmm. And about two years exactly to the deadline of whether the Hornets are going to extend him. They had to make this decision with MKG. They did. They had to make this decision with Kimball Walker. They did. They had yeah. to make this decision with Cody Zeller. They did. They'll have to make this in less than two years with Malik Monk
4: or send him into restricted free agency. Yeah,
3: That is not that far
4: away. I so that's- would s- I would just say unless things change in one way or the other, like you just let this guy hit restricted free. like I, can't, I this is a guy that you you play hardball with once he really shows you some and again, he's got a lot like between years two and three you can make a jump. like you uh-huh. can still that's even even those that are down on on Malik and I'm not putting myself in that category just yet. even those people have to acknowledge like yeah. You, but there's still a possibility that he could make a jump. Everyone was throwing. De- this comparison is trite because they were teammates at Kentucky. Um, they operate totally independently of one another. But like everybody was was crushing De'Aaron Fox in Sacramento. And like, look what that guy's become. Now, I don't. Malik Monk is not De'Aaron Fox. I, I'm not at all saying that. And again, comparison is a little weak because I'm just grabbing another 20 year old guard that he happened to be teammates with in college for a year. Um, so I think there's still upward growth and you know, maybe good to be around Parker and Kemba and, and having James Borrego sort of knowing that if his tenure is going to be like, you know, has – if he wants to sort of like increase his odds of his tenure in Charlotte being good or what it could be, then he sort of needs Malik to be there. So, you know, the organization's going to give him chances and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, it is becoming – it's just like the, the thought that in the summer of – you know, 2020, you know, like unless things change crazily, like they're not going to be trying to like, why the hell would you be trying to extend this guy? Like you still don't even know what he is. Um And then one last thing, just just to go back to Bridges real quickly here, too, which was the problems that you have with Malik Monk when it comes to shot selection, you don't have with Miles Bridges. And again, they're different players. They're asked to do different things. Uh-huh. But Miles Bridges. Man, over over eighty one. Oh, pardon me, over eighty percent of his field goal attempts this season have been threes or at the rim. It's yep. perfect. Number. That's a perfect number. Forty three percent of his field goal attempts at the rim. He's shooting seventy three percent on those. Forty one percent on the corner. Thirteen percent of his shot attempts have come from there. Thirty two percent on above the break threes. You know, it's, it's just really like not that bad. And so that is encouraging because he's being like. You know, he pops and he has, he does these mo- amazing moments of athleticism on, on a rebound or in transition or whatever. But like, he's also playing the right way offensively. And um, you know, he takes what the defense gives him and he, he's just taking the right kinds of shots too, which is encouraging.
2: And I think that's the thing with Monk. He doesn't necessarily play the right way all the time uh, and more frequently than not, it's not like he's, he's not taking the best shots. Um, and you made a great point, Brian, that his shots or his shooting efficiency has to be what gets him over that hump. And it just hasn't mm-hmm. been the case. And yes, mm-hmm. he surprised us with his passing ability. Uh, although that does lead to some turnovers, but um, yeah, it, it's definitely going to be something that the Hornets have to look within and see if they are trying to keep monk for the long haul. But uh, let's kind of transition to the Wednesday Wednesday, 110-99 win over the Cavaliers. This was definitely a game that I felt like Charlotte needed to get um, after a pretty, you know, pathetic performance in the first half. First, I would say maybe first, you know, one and a half quarters. I would say the Hornets kind of turned it around at the end of that second quarter. Uh, Marvin Williams, Jeremy Lamb, uh, and Kimba Walker. He could be breaking out of that slump. Uh, he had an awesome performance from that second quarter onwards. Uh, those three, Lamb, Kimba, and uh, Marvin Williams, accounted for 66 of the points, uh, and they went 27-55 from the field. Uh, they basically were able to get whatever they wanted uh, at the rim, uh, Cavaliers, uh, did not do a good job of protecting the paint. Charlotte outscored the Cavaliers 60-42 to 42 inside the paint. And like I said, this is a game that they needed to get, um, especially after losing to the Knicks prior to the Lakers. Um, we had to stop the bleeding, and the Hornets are back at 500 with this win. I, gu- I guess I kind of want to start with Kimba. I think the biggest thing is he needed a game like this to get out of that slump. He was um, very inefficient from the first quarter. The, the whole team was. I think that mm-hmm. might have been a... Uh, season low in points, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it was, yeah, in the first quarter. quarter. Yeah, Got it. correct. And I just thought, okay, this here we go. Another game where Kemba struggles and no one else kind of steps up around him. Uh, but I will say that around the uh, five-minute mark in the second quarter, Kemba made a reverse layup. And from that point on, he scored all 30 of his points. Uh, it went 11 of 19 from the um, from the field. 50% from three-point range, and he also had the pull-up mid-range pull-up mid, work, uh, pull up mid range working as well. That's always an aspect of his game that I feel like when he has that going, uh, it kind of puts the defenses on their heels a whole lot more. So he's got the pull-up mid-range game working, um, shooting well from deep. Um, he still needs to prove at the rim and kind of limit the uh, complaining. He did pick up a technical, you know, that frustration was building. But, uh do we think that Kimba can be is back? I guess, or is escaping that slump, or is one game not enough to say that?
4: Yeah, not I, not, not against this team.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's true. I would,
3: I would I would agree. I would agree. I, I think that you know, and I, I dug into to Kimba's really December, just this month, which is eight games. Um, and I agree with Brian. Not not against Cleveland. They're they're so pathetic keeping the ball in front of them. Um, Steve when you is have Jordan's joke,
4: K- what a what an absolute joke. who's that this that? team i mean oh, oh this is. team yeah yeah and oh. clarkson is but like this whole team i mean it, Cla- clarkson were, yeah when you guys were watching that game last night it was like i, I don't know if maybe you felt the same way but you're just like it, it's almost hard not to just like either you're like I, i'm like a combination of like i want to laugh at them and i'm also disgusted that there's this there's a professional basketball team that looks like this and they should lose every game I know they yep. just beat – like, I know they just beat the Pacers. I know that. You know, they had Larry Dance tipping at the buzzer.
1: Woohoo!
4: Um if, if any of the other 29 teams – and I'm even talking about crap teams like the Knicks and, like, the Hawks. Like, if those teams just come out and play a professional basketball game, they will beat the, – the Cavaliers should lose every time. This team – especially without Tristan Thompson, like – If you can just – like some of those games, Hood and Clarkson are going to get hot and throw in some slop. And if you can just not get frustrated by that, you should beat this team just senselessly every time. They're so, so bad.
3: Yeah, they're terrible keeping the ball in front of them. That's why the Hornets scored 60 points in the paint last night. I mean, Rodney Hood, he looks like he should be a good defender. He's not. Jordan Clarkson, in my opinion, is the worst defender in the league. I mean, he's got to be out there.
4: took 19 shots last night.
3: Oh, of course he did. Shot. I'm surprised.
4: Like, yeah. what are we like? What are we doing here, actually?
3: Yeah. Oh, they, well, we're trying to lose is what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, the, the last eight games for Kemba, he's 34% from the floor. He's 27% from behind the arc. Um, 16 of 40, 40 percent from the restrict, restricted area. That's that's very surprising for Kimba. 17 of 62, that's 27 and a half percent from above the break. Uh, triples. That's really where he butters his bread. I mean, to be honest, and that that's concerning. Um, let's see here. He was 52 percent and 37 percent from these areas, you know, respect respectively at the rim, above the break three in the first 22 games of the season. So, you know, you know, I think that's the sample, the month of December, the eight games. I, I'm going to just monitor that as we move forward here. But Kimba is, you know, second half against Cleveland does not break this slump. Um, although, it, Richie, you make it, you ask a good question, make a good point, right? Because he started this game 0 of 7. So you're sitting there going, Holy crap! What what go. is this Here about to again. become? Yeah. You know, yeah. you know what is this about to become? And he makes that reverse layup, and then he hits uh, two or three, you know, those mid range, yep. you know, step side step backs, and then and then he gets the pull up three, right? So he just like worked his way back on the floor, and then Charlotte was kind of rolling, and it's just, it's so funny. And this this is basketball. This is any team sport, right? With a guy who everyone counts on as the leader of the team, is the best player. Really doesn't matter. It, it's just so. It's so funny to watch the other guys on this team when Kemba gets it going and the body language just immediately becomes freer. I mean, it's just like a weight has been lifted off the collective shoulders of of the Spectrum Center. And and, and Charlotte just really could not – didn't look back after Kemba got going. Marvin gets it going, going to the rim. MKG, his play really, in my opinion, is what turned this game. It wasn't Kemba getting going. He came out. He got a few defensive stops. Uh, a few, uh, one steal cutting off the baseline, protecting the rim. Um, I think he was matched up against, uh, who I can't remember right now, but really he incinerated the energy I thought in this game, and then came in, came in, got it going, um, shooting the ball, and then in this game really turned for us. M-
2: MKG always seems to be around the ball, whether it's like defensively yeah. loose balls, offensive rebounds, whatever yep. it is. It just, it just seems like the ball finds him, or he finds the ball, and and he is definitely um, an underrated or underappreciated uh, part of this team that most people don't see. You know, you look at the box school, and, and you'll think Kimba Lamb and Marvin Williams for this game, but MKG definitely. Impress me in terms of kind of upping that energy but he he definitely is like a magnet for that ball he always finds that ball
4: no he he knows where his bread is buttered and it's just like being active and, and playing hard as hell and being six foot seven and, and flying around trying to make plays and like you know holy hell dude, that's exactly what he did uh six of ten shooting in this game six offensive rebounds two steals two blocks like four four stocks in this game that's great He contested eight two-point field goal attempts in 21 minutes. He's been a menace. Basically, the best wing defender at contesting two-point attempts so far this year, if you you want to lump him into uh, the wing defender category. Um, I thought Jeremy Lamb was big in this game, too. Mm -hmm. Ten of his 16 field goal attempts in the restricted area. He played 42 minutes. Which is like kind of a joke. It's like, well, how did you need him to play forty-two minutes against the freaking Cavaliers? Borrego
3: but, really shrunk that lineup. Plus, yeah. only yeah. eight guys
4: played. He did, and uh, I mean, basically, we're at a point now. I wanted to bring this up too. Like, you know, did did Aaron Gomez and Kaminsky? Did they even play in the second half last night? They did night? not. They did not. Like, so so we're at a point now where it's like, you know, if there were a game tonight. I mean, obviously, one of those guys—if not both of them—would play, but they both got some minutes against against Cleveland. Like right now, the second best center and the effective backup center on the Hornets is Marvin Williams. So, like, period. It, so, like, so, I don't,
3: so I don't want to like dive too deep into this because I want you guys to read my column, <laughs> <Queen City> Hicks <laughs> and, every, and everybody else tomorrow. But I, I did a little bit of a deep dive on the, the whole Willie Kaminsky, you know, musical chairs of backup yeah. center, and whoa. There are some really shocking. Well, not, I wouldn't even say they're shocking, but the numbers with those guys on the floor, either one of them, when MKG is playing power forward, and then when he comes off, yeah. are
4: so. It is such a steep cliff that I, I, it's it, you can't even hardly believe it. This is what I this is what I brought up with uh, on the pod with Nate Duncan, Duncan last yeah. week. Like when when Frank Kaminsky's is on the court without MKG, it was as of a week ago, 107 points per his possessions. With MKG on with Frank, it was 84 points per 100 possessions, like a night and day difference. Um, and by the way, like this, the lineups with Marvin at center. Look, maybe you're sort of nuking him. You know, this is a lot to put on Marvin's plate here. Uh, but 164 minutes with with Marvin as the five this year. Hornets plus like 40 something in those minutes. Um, 110 points per 100 possessions, allowing under. 98 points for 100 possessions, a net rating of plus 12.3. Like, they've been very good lineups with with him uh, at center and playing with, you know, usually MKG, sometimes Miles Bridges at the four. Like, they've been very, very productive. And that's becoming the, like, when Borrego sees things going, like, sideways early, it's either the, let me throw Tony Parker in there with Kemba uh-huh. Walker, or let me go to Marvin at center. Those are his two, like, Go-tos. I've got to do I've yeah. got to do something now because everything's going poorly and Cody's on the bench because he needs rest or fouls or whatever so I just I just got to go with this other thing.
2: We should probably yeah. talk about this with Borrego in terms of just kind of limiting and, and kind of shrinking the lineup a little bit. First off, Monk didn't even play; uh, he had no. a DNPCD. So after this game and you know against the Lakers where he put up 19 points. Clearly, Borrego favors defense, and he didn't even get a single minute out there on the court against the Cavaliers. You would think he would get a minute against the Cavaliers. So I don't know if something happened at practice or if just he he doesn't want him out there. But it kind of goes along with the trend with Willie and Frank Kaminsky. Add those two plus Monk, what do they all have in common? Uh, They can't play defense.
3: Yeah, Yeah. I, I don't... I don't think it's really anything off the court. I mean, it certainly could be, but I I just think, again, it's just Monk's play on the floor. It's his lack of attention to detail. He doesn't run back on defense consistently. You know, I already talked about, you know, his offensive knuckleheadedness, I'm going to say that word right now. You know, it's just he's hard to trust. As a coach, I can't even imagine having to have that guy out there in, in important minutes and trust him to just make the right play and play smart basketball. Um, you know, and I think that's the problem with Kaminsky and Hernan Gomez as well. I mean, that's why we've seen so much of the small ball lineup is because neither one of these backup centers. Now, they both had positive moments. We've seen that. But mm-hmm. consistently, they've both been very inconsistent, right? So I I will say this, though. I think it's time for Borrego to pick a backup center. Yes. But, you, know, you know, I, I don't. I don't know that it's benefit, benefiting either one of the players, and it's definitely not benefiting the team, um, because again, we have seen positive moments from both of these guys, Kaminsky and Hernan Gomez, and I, you got to pick one. You've it's got good. you got to allow one of these guys to get solid minutes Consistent, with Tony Parker. Yeah. On the floor and create some kind of synergy. You just keep flip flopping. I just don't think it's making this team better. It's,
4: i I'm, I'm, in like it has to be Aaron and Gomez. I actually don't think there's like a, you because because of what you said on the pod on episode eighty three, Spencer, which was Aaron and Gomez for all of the frustrations, especially on the defensive end. He's got some good offensive numbers and he's got some good tools. His cap hit is low. They have his rights. I mean, obviously they do with the, that that some of that applies to Frank, but like. Frank's a, Frank's a gonna be a, a free agent this summer. Um, they probably can't bring him back, and they probably shouldn't bring him back. And um, they've got bigger offseason priorities. And yeah, like I just say, just figure it out with Aaron and Gomez. Just just I, do it. Like you I know, agree. I don't think there's even a choice. But but I, like if you if you want to make it a, a one versus the other, you can. But it, it just it's got to be Willie. It has to be.
3: I, I agree 100. percent And you know to your point. Frank's going into restricted free agency. I would say there's like a 5% chance Charlotte brings him back right now. They'd have to squeeze him all the way down to suffocation, you know, basically dollars wise. Um, you know, but Willie, I mean, let's look at it real quickly. Willie's got a cap hit next season of uh, shy of $1.6 million. Now he Easy. does have a, he, and it's a non-guaranteed deal that has a trigger date of June 28th of this coming summer. So technically Charlotte could let both of these guys walk into free agency, but that's not happening because of the rot, you know, because of the cap constraints on this roster. How would Charlotte not bring back a center making $1.6 million on, on a capped out roster? I mean, they're gonna bring Willie back. So exactly yeah. to your point, Brian, they mm-hmm. got you gotta play him. Like yeah, give him to. a chance to develop. That position's gonna stink for you regardless. Mm-hmm. But why you would play a guy like Frank Kaminsky you know, that you're not bringing back next year over a guy like Willie, who you need to develop and you can re sign in 2020 for still a very low number, mm-hmm. makes very little sense unless you're really trying to get Frank some minutes, you're trying to get him some tape, you're trying to trade him. But mm-hmm. I don't think what you can trade him for is worth sacrificing Willie's minutes, in my yeah. opinion.
2: I think the biggest thing we kind of talked about this, uh, preseason, uh, we can't overload Marvin with the minutes. I think that with his age, you know, getting up there, sure. He makes the team better with playing him at the five, but I don't know if the minutes, if you keep playing them, you know, 20, I don't even know. I don't know what it's averaging this year, but it's definitely above 20. You keep playing him those minutes, uh, more than you probably should. Uh, it's going to sp- expend a little bit too much energy on him for being, you know, close to feels like 50 years old. I mean, he feels like he's been in the league forever. Um, <laughs> So let's let's transition. 26,
4: 26, 26 wow. minutes per game for my. Wow,
2: opinion. I was way was off. Just, I, I thought it was going to be closer to twenty. Uh, you know,
4: he he, ra- he randomly has these games that happen against the Lakers too, where like I swear this is what knocks it down a little bit. It's like once every like four or five games, it's like he has a game where he plays like it's like Charlotte gets killed and he plays twelve minutes. Yeah, it's like the, that'll happen too, and I swear that like that 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 like knocks it down at least a a couple you know a, a little bit there.
3: Well, in these in these minutes, he's spending at center are are clear, very obviously the that's what's driving the, the average up, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's not yeah. stuff he's yeah. done in the past. So yeah. we thought, I think one of our predictions coming into the season was, like you said, Richie, around twenty minutes, but it's twenty six because <sighs> we're so
4: desperate to get yeah. some played, kind of positive value out of Alana. He, he played thirty. He played thirty eight minutes against Cl- the Cavaliers. Thirty eight minutes. I mean that that is that, is, and he took thirteen shots, and he played a lot of those at at center. And by the way, like the side note, the kemba Lamb, Batum mkg marvin lineup was, was really good, plus eight in five minutes, um, 50% shooting, six assists on seven field goals, 1.13 points per possession. Like, it, it, it works, especially against bad teams like this. But, yeah, they're putting a lot, a lot of strain on uh, on Marvin Williams.
2: All right, let's move on. Well, first off. Well, another thing that I, I noticed in this game, the Hornets came out in a two, three zone uh, with about nine minutes left in the second quarter, but no mention of it on the broadcast. Spence, you kind of brought that up last time that, that I uh, guess, I guess it was the Knicks that pulled it out against us and they, and they thought that they were pulling it out for the first time in the third quarter when they had tried it for the whole time in the third quarter. But uh, that's a different conversation for a different day, but we, we had a, um, a, a yeah, list. real quickly, yeah. real quickly. I, I, I I love Eric Collins. He makes it more fun watching the games, right? Yeah.
3: Um. I like Dell Curry too. But guys, come on. Like, if everybody can see it, huh? Right. Like, I'm not trying to call anybody yeah. out here, but like, he played in the NBA for how many years? A whole really long time, and were, were was one of the best players in franchise history. Yeah. Maybe we, maybe we, they see that the I think Hornets the fans want a little bit more than that. Yeah, maybe the
2: yeah. maybe they see the Hornets play defense so often that they don't move their feet that so they don't think that they're in zone sometimes. But there's usually a dead giveaway when the guy there's two guys up uh-huh. front and yeah. not and not moving around with their man. But
4: anyway, man, if only though, if only the Hornets had had someone on their broadcast team that had had played and <laughs> coached basketball yep. at the professional level. Man. Man, if only. I mean, if only. I mean, that, you know, that they didn't have that obviously. So, but you know, right. if only. If At only. least not now. At least not yeah. now. Right.
3: Right. If that have, would have just fallen right into their hands. Yeah, so, exactly.
4: So, so side note, we should just because it, it, you know, let's not, we don't have to go down a whole, a whole, uh, alley here. But like, hats off for Stephanie Reddy. She'll be missed on the broadcast. I really enjoyed her work, even in a reduced role, um, uh, doing the sidelines and pre and post game and some other interviews and stuff. But, she was a she was a trooper and uh, you know a bit of a uh, you know uh, someone who really broke broke new ground in the profession and and uh, she'll definitely be missed uh, in Hornets Land. There's no doubt about that. Seconded. So
2: we had a, a listener ask about the uh, the traded player exception, uh, TPE, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the Hornets have a correct me if I'm if I'm wrong here, Spencer or Brian, but the hornets have a 7.8 million uh, TPE from the Dwight Howard trade. And to basically explain explain how this works, um, when you have this exception, you can trade for a player um, up to $7.8 million uh, with that TPE and uh, kind of absorb their salary into your salary without sending out a player. Is that the simplest way to put it?
3: Correct. Yeah. Okay. But, you know, the caveat for the Hornets is, you know, you could do that if you were Charlotte, you could take on seven point eight million dollars of salary, but they're only three point four yeah. under the tax. So it does still count on your books and you would, would still have to pay a tax. So remember that cold day in hell um, analogy yeah. we've used before the, the Hornets will not be using that full seven, eight. So effectively they can use yeah. about point million of right
2: if they wanted to use a portion of it they could use a portion of it and they could actually make several transactions using a portion of this TPE but like Spencer said highly 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 doubt uh, that you're gonna be using the
4: full and there's an expiration date on it you Uh have one full calendar year to use it if you remember the trade this past summer uh, it was July 6 2018 so they have until July 6 2019 to use that I actually remember where I where I was at a Mexican restaurant in Raleigh enjoying margaritas and all of a sudden I've got to like bore the girl I'm on a date with so I can dig into my phone and and look up you know Hornets stuff so anyways uh yeah I guess if anything else you want to add in on the uh the TPE there no I think no, that's the no, simplest that's way to
2: explain it right I mean it's yeah, not there's not yeah. it sounds more daunting than it really is basically you're allowed to absorb salary without sending out a player using this you know this TP. Depending on how much it is, we have right. seven point eight million. Well,
3: well, I would I would add one more thing. So like the Hornets do have a few uh, non guaranteed. Tony Parker's is one of them. Right. Uh, Willie Hernan Gomez. We talked about that. They have there's yeah. some player options on the books. Dwayne like,
4: Bacon. Dwayne Bacon's non guaranteed for next season too.
3: He is. He is. Yes. Yeah. He is. So I mean, there's ways that Charlotte could get closer to being able to use the full seven point eight million of this exception before uh, the deadline date that Brian brought up, it's not likely, but it's possible. And, and also just a trade this year, right? Like, if, if the Hornets are able to get off a little bit of a salary, you know, there's there's, there's a way they could use most of that. And Kupchak brought it up that mm-hmm. yeah, and, and at some yeah. point it was a goal to use this trade exception. So I wouldn't just like bury it at the bottom of the priority list for Charlotte. I would expect them to use this somehow, some way uh, before the end of this season. And if they don't before the end of the season, I expect them to use it Somehow, some way, before it expires in July.
2: All right. So on that note, I think we should wrap this episode. Episode 84. Thanks again for tuning in. Our plan for the next couple of weeks, we plan on recording the 26th of December and then the week of New Year's, barring some major news on the Hornets front, we will be taking off. Uh, so again, thanks again for joining
4: us uh, and please enjoy your holidays. Uh, go ahead, Brian. Just just want to say uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays to everybody, and uh, thanks for listening in. We appreciate it. Yes, we do appreciate it. Uh, and again, thanks for tuning in. Uh, for Brian, for Spencer, I am Richie.
1: Go Hornets.